0: We are closing out our series on the book of Revelation, and I hope if, uh, if you've gotten anything from coming this, this semester, I hope that one of the things that stood out to you, is I've, I've tried to say it almost every single night, is when, when the Apostle John begins writing uh, this letter, because it's a letter to, to seven churches, when he begins writing it, he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how he starts the letter. And I've said over and over again that when, when he writes that, he's not just announcing the title of the letter. He's announcing the topic of the letter. That this letter, it's all about who Jesus is. And it's written to these people who are living in the first century in the Roman Empire. And they are either currently or about to go under some serious persecution. For following jesus it's going to be dangerous and harrowing and hard and the same is true for you i don't I, I never want to give you an um an image that like following jesus is going to be you know roses and unicorns and rainbows although i am pro rose unicorn and rainbow i like those things but following jesus is hard and the christian life is a life of suffering Jesus says anyone who would come after me will take up his cross and follow me. And so what what Jesus is doing in giving the church this book, the Revelation, is he's, it's not meant to confuse us. It's actually meant, I've said this too, that the word apocalypsis, which is the word that we interpret Revelation, the Greek word apocalypsis, you hear that apocalyptic word that we use now, right, in apocalypsis. Apocalypse means to unveil or to reveal. And so what's happening in Revelation is we're getting to see the way things really are and who God really is and who we really are. And what we we see is that we are broken and needy people who are sinners and that God is doing something to redeem us and through redeeming us and also he's going to redeem the world. He's going to make all things new. I remember hearing that for the first time in college and it blowing my mind. That that God, in Revelation 21, the picture that we get, it's not us being whisked away some distant place into this unfamiliar eternity. But in Revelation 21, we see heaven coming down to earth and God says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Which means that for eternity, God is going to come here. And he's going to make this world new and right. And we will be here on earth with him for eternity in our home. That's the vision that, that God is giving to the churches so that they can endure. Because they're going to go through hardship. And whether you're about to go off for your summer and come back next year, or whether you're about to go off and you know, go work or do whatever you're about to do next, seniors, What I want you to see in the message of Revelation is that God has set something out before you so that you may endure. He wants you to endure because he loves you and he cares about you. So let me read, we're going to look at the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. I'm going to read for us and then we'll pray. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but these words of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us um, this vision uh, of hope, of a new life, and we pray that it would capture our imaginations now, and in doing so, that we would see more of who you are and what you're doing on our behalf. And I pray for anyone who does not yet believe in you, that they would uh, consider these things and, and wonder, what if this is true? And uh, I lift up our evening to you and ask that you would bless this night and bless the one um, who preaches. Help me to, uh, to, sh- to show them you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to look at three things. I know, shocker, three-point sermon from John. Here we go. Um, First, our thirst. Second, God's supply. And third, so what? Our thirst, God's supply, and so what? So the Bible describes the human condition oftentimes as thirst. That we're thirsty. John does it in another book that he writes. John, in chapter 4, He gives us this account of Jesus going up to this woman who's sitting by a well, and this woman's life, she's had um, kind of hard thing after hard thing happen to her. She's all alone, she's kind of a reject in her village because she's had these five broken relationships, and she's been looking for satisfaction in the next husband, and the next husband, and the next husband, and now she's, she's not even married, but she's just with somebody else, and she's... Jesus walks up to her, and he doesn't walk up to her and say, now, I know what you've been doing with these men, and I am disappointed. Instead, he walks up to her, and he says, he tells her, I have water, that if you drink of it, you'll never be thirsty again. Because Jesus knows her heart, and that the heart of the human condition is a heart that thirsts. For something more. And you have that heart. And I have that heart. And we see this in our own lives. The things that we thirst for. Some of you thirst for wealth. You thirst for it. You picked your major because of it. Some of you, maybe underneath that, that thirst for wealth is actually a thirst for security. Security. Like you want to feel, you you thirst for safety or to feel like you've got everything in order and you're going to be okay. Or some of you thirst for comfort. And so you run from one thing, I do this, I run from the one thing to the next to the next. This is why I'm a a procrastinator. Because I'm always looking for the next little fun thing that can give me a little taste of comfort because I'm thirsty for it. Some of you thirst for acceptance. We talked about that a little bit last week. You thirst for acceptance. And the problem with all of these things, whether it's acceptance or wealth or anything, is that you never really can have enough because it can always fluctuate and change. Listen, uh, (laughs) there's a question I've found myself asking a lot of students. I've asked some of you in this room this question. I don't want you to feel bad if you gave what you think is a bad answer because you probably gave an answer that I would give. But a question I've been asking a lot of students that I've always asked is what would you do if you had all the money that you could ever want? Like, what would you do with the rest of your life if you didn't, like, you didn't need to worry about, um, about money. You just, whatever that number is, you had it. And maybe even think about how you would answer that question. Like, how would you spend the rest of your life? And Maybe you don't know what you want to do with your life. That's fine. You don't have to have your life figured out. But for some of you, it may actually be hard to answer that question, like how would I spend my time, because literally all you think about in terms of like what you're going to be working towards for the rest of your life is accumulating wealth. So if that was taken off the table, it's kind of like, well, what would I, how would I spend my time? Or maybe some of you know exactly, this, is, this would be more my answer, you know exactly what you would do like i'd be like oh great i'm gonna buy the houston rockets who are playing right now i'm going to be a scoring update at the end of this um but I, w- I would buy the houston rockets i'd have courtside seats i'd have a bowl full of sour skittles in every room that i walked to and i would have a ranch with a disc golf course that i would play by myself whenever i wanted to and a helicopter to fly me there <laughs> that there you go that's it done um we thirst for things i remember asking one of my um a high school kid in my old youth group. I asked him this question, and he went to um, he went to the kind of high school that not all of you went to, but a lot of you went to. And he was from he was from like upper class family, kind of like he was on the path to like one day moving back into that neighborhood that he grew up in. And I was like, I asked him this question. He could not answer it. He he could not fathom, what would I do with my life if I didn't really, like, need to chase that thing? Which means that, like, deep down, like, what that's showing is, like, that's all my, my life is about. Because I can't really think about what else I would do with without chasing that. But what I want you to know is that that will leave, that, like, if if what you're living for is like to get the beautiful house in the beautiful neighborhood in Houston or Dallas and like have the ranch house and the vacation home and the hundred foot yacht that you like rent every year with your friends, you're gonna end up thirsty. I, I'm I'm not telling this to, you to to beat you up. I'm telling you this because I love you and I don't want you to end your life thirsty and unsatisfied, because I love y'all. Listen to what Kevin Durant said. Take it from him. Kevin Durant, KD, the servant, the slim reaper. All right, I'll stop. Um, UT Longhorn, by the way. And he ruined the NBA. But anyway, um, in an article on ESPN, so Kevin Durant, is a basketball player. He won won his first title last year, NBA title. And uh, for 10 years, he had been trying to finally win a championship, never won it. He goes to the Golden State Warriors, which is kind of weak in my opinion, but that's a whole other story. He goes to them, he wins the title, shocker, wow, yeah, okay, great. You joined Steph Curry. Um, so for the first 10 years of his career, he was only ejected one time, like kicked out of a game for having a bad temper or whatever. This year alone, he's been ejected five times. And so a reporter asked him about this, right, like, Katie, what's going on? Why are you do- what's, what's happening with you? He said this. This is a month ago. It's just my emotions and passion for the game, Durant said after Friday's practice session. After winning that championship last season, I learned that much hadn't. I learned that that much hadn't changed. I thought it would fill a certain void. It didn't. That's when I realized in the off season that the only thing that matters is this game. And how much work you put into it. That's it. That is the voice of somebody who is thirsty. Thirsty for something more. He got to the mountaintop. He made it. He did it. And he's thirsty. Some of, this is a more, a more famous quote. Some of you may have heard this from when Tom Brady was on 60 Minutes a few years ago. This was before he won his last Super Bowl um, title. But he's, uh, Steve Croft is interviewing him uh, from, on 60 Minutes he's asking Tom Brady about what drives him and listen to what Brady says the most famous quarterback he's married to a supermodel he's got a hundred million dollar um contract he's a model he's beautiful anyway he says this y'all know he's beautiful okay he says why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think God it's got to be more than this. I mean, this this isn't it. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And then Steve Croft asks him, What's the answer, Tom? And he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. He's thirsty. He's thirsty for something more. And I don't want you to be thirsty. What's got him thirsty is you see Paul talks about this in Romans 1. He says that all of these good things that God gives us like an NBA title is a good thing. A hundred million dollar contract that's not bad. Being married to a supermodel, that's great if if that happens to you. Being beautiful, thumbs up, yay. But those are all signposts they're all tastes of the giver of those gifts and what Paul says we do in in Romans 1 he says we have God has made himself plainly known in his creation because he's given us all these signs all these good things and what we do is we we kind of like elbow God out of the way so that we can get to the good things It says we exchange the creator for the created things. That's what we do. And the problem is those created things get consumed and spent up and then we're left and we're still thirsty. You even see it. Did you catch this in in the passage in in Revelation 22? Look at verse 8. John gets this amazing signpost of what's coming, of what God is going to do in this angel who's there telling him this stuff. And then in Revelation 22, 8, he says, John, before the angel, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed these things to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, with your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. See, the angel is even a signpost. And what John does with this angel is what we do with all these other kinds of things in our lives. This sign comes along. This taste of the water, of the goodness of God, it comes along and we want to drink from a drop. But you were made to drink from a fountain. You're not made to be satisfied from a drop. It's a taste. And you're going to be thirsty If that's what you stop at, if that's what your goal is, if that's what your mission in life is, is to get that drop, you are going to be so thirsty. The good news is that God has given us his supply. Second point, God's supply. Um, Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes this. He says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. All of these things can't satisfy me in this world. That must mean that I'm made for something more and better, to be satisfied, to be quenched. And this image that we get in Revelation 22 is of a river of life. We get, in Revelation 22, we get to see that In the new heavens and new earth, we will be with the source. You see, look at verse 1. Where is even the river of life coming from? It's coming from the throne. It's coming from the throne. And in a chapter before, in Revelation 21, 6, we hear, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So flowing from God's throne is the source is the source of the things that we have wanted to t- that we have tasted and longed to have in full. So here's what I want you to see with this. This is the imagery that you need to see. Heaven is not going to be boring. Because all of the created things that you love was, it, was, it comes from the mind of the Creator. He is the source of it, the fount of it. Come thou fount of every blessing. He's the fount of every single blessing. And so what this means is that the Creator who thought up laughter, the Creator who thought up creativity, who thought up storytelling and music, It's not going to be boring because you're with the source of that. It'd be like, would you rather, this is a terrible analogy, I don't know why I'm using it. I just thought of it. It'd it'd be like, do you want to be with an album of your favorite artist for the rest of your life or with your favorite artist for the rest of your life? What should you rather hang out with and spend the rest of your life with? Listening to one album on repeat all the time the taste of who that person's creativity really is like, or the actual creator of it, and see all the different things that they can make and do and be. This is what the image is here in Revelation 22, that God, that you get to spend an eternity with the creator. And it's a depiction, it's a depiction of our return to Eden, because in the two featured images in Revelation 22 is the river of life and the tree of life, and both of those are directly taken from the book of Genesis and the story of the creation And in in the creation of Eden, God puts man, he makes all of this amazing stuff. And then he takes man and he puts them in the garden. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Rule. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds and over everything that I've given you. I want you to rule it. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we know that the rest of the, the way that the Bible presents creation that the rest of the world was not like Eden because when they get kicked out, they're sad. And it's desolate and hard on the rest of the planet. See, what God, do, what God does is he puts them in Eden and he says, now I want you, just like I have ordered things and, made, and ruled over this paradise, garden paradise and made it livable and fertile and good, I want you to do that with the planet. Edenize the planet by ruling it. He tells them to rule it. God sets them up as what theologians call his vice regents over creation. A, a regent is someone who rules. Vice is someone who's second in command. Adam and Eve were going to rule over the, well, everything that God had made, the cosmos. Well, how, would, how does one rule? How would they have done that? How would they Edenize the planet? They'd have to learn how to cultivate it. How do you learn to cultivate things? You learn science. How do you fill things with the beauty that God has told them to fill with? You learn art. And do you see what they're doing in Revelation 22? Look at verse 5. What does God say that their servants will be doing? Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. It's a return to what, they, what we were meant to be doing. What we were meant to be doing in Genesis 3, it's a return and restoration to that. You will, I promise you will not be bored in eternity. There will be much work to be done, much discovery to be done. And as we, as we continue to reign over God's world that he has given us, what you will get to do is you will worship him as you see and experience more and more of how he's made this world. I remember when, uh, I got to go, uh, I was really fortunate. I got to backpack in Europe one summer and we went to this place called Interlaken in Switzerland and uh 10 out of 10 would recommend if, you're, if you of you're going, but, uh, we, Interlaken is the number two place in the world to skydive. It's like a skydiving mecca. After, I like, think the Great Barrier Reef is like, supposed to be the best, and then Interlaken, Switzerland. And you're in the Swiss Alps, and you go up. So, my friend and I uh, were like, we're going to do this the right way. Like, we're going gonna, we're, we're gonna, like, to do it to the max. So, we go with these guys. Uh, this dude is like a world champion skydiver who skydives out of helicopters. And we were going to skydive with this dude, and he was. Insane. Anyway, so he and also he's like awkwardly strapped onto your back the whole time, like telling you things, and it's kind of weird. Um, so <laughs> we get up in the helicopter, and as we're flying up, that we, you're, you're like sitting on the edge of the helicopter and looking out, and there's no door. They just have you like clipped in, so that you can't fall out. And so you're just like looking over the edge, and you're flying up, and I, my, y'all, I I like I would love to tell you that I was enjoying the experience and like taking in the beauty. I was not at all. I was just thinking like, don't die, don't die, don't die. Please, Lord God, don't let me die. And it didn't help when uh, my friend went first and as he's jumping off the guy who's strapped to his back turns around and goes, "See you in hell." Ah! And like jumps out. <laughs> so like, now it's my turn to go. And uh, when you skydive out of a helicopter, You know, like, the thing that the helicopter lands on, like, the landing skis? So, like, you can't just jump out because, A, there's, like, a dude awkwardly strapped to you, and, B, like, you could hit the landing skis if you jump, so you actually have to, like, step out of the helicopter, like, onto the landing skis, and then the dude's, like, sitting behind you on on the helicopter, and you're 15,000 feet in the air in the Swiss Alps, and then he says, one, two, three, fall, and you just, like, fall forward. And the whole, and, like, for, like, the... 50-second free fall, I'm just like, don't die, don't die, don't die, please parachute open, please parachute open, and the, the parachute opens, and like, then I started to look around, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, we're, I'm like floating from a parachute in the Swiss Alps, and there's like mountain goats over there, I saw a mountain goat, and changed my life, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like, and as I'm, as we're floating down, I started to think like, this view has always existed, For like for however old you think the Earth is, for how many thousands or millions, whatever you think of the Earth, this this view has always been here, and it's been waiting to be seen. And now I'm getting I'm like one of the few people who's ever seen this over the course of human history. And as I look at this, I can't help but think how amazing God is that He's made this. That's the kind of stuff you'll do in eternity as you reign. Because all the things that you will see and discover and do, as you participate in exploring the glories of God, it will point you to, it will be a signpost pointing you to the fountain. So, this tree of life is the next thing that we see. The river of life and then the tree of life. It's on e- this tree of life. It must be massive because it's described as being on either side of the river. And the question then is like, how do you access it? Like, who gets the tree? Because in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, God says they have to leave, lest man eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sinful condition. So, man has been barred from the tree of life. For the whole Bible. And then here in Revelation 22, at the end, the last chapter, we see it appear again. And this is important. I want you to see who gets access. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right, the right to the tree of life. How do they wash their robes? How do our robes get washed? And we get... We're told that in a chat. We studied this earlier this semester. Revelation seven fourteen. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The thing that gets us access to this tree and this paradise, it's another tree of life. So there's a tree of life in Genesis three, sorry, in Genesis one two and three. There's a tree of life in Revelation twenty two. Literally the two bookends of the Bible, but there's also a tree of life in the middle of the Bible. It's the tree that Jesus went to for you. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus goes to the cross to redeem people who run away from him and fail him and sin against him. He goes to the cross to redeem them and by his blood he pays for our access to the tree. Because the reality is, God, God is just, and on the last day, he will give all of us what we deserve. Did you know that? I know I talk about grace a lot. The reality is, he, he gives you what you deserve on the last day. My, uh, <laughs> a pastor friend of mine, his wife has this kind of like liturgy that she does with her kids. Whenever they say, "Never one of them is whining, is like, that's not fair. This is what the, the mom says. I know it's not fair, what is fair? And then the kids respond, hell is fair. <laughs> <laughs> haven't, uh, Christy and I haven't started doing that, maybe we should. That's not fair, what's fair? Hell is fair, whoa. But here's the thing, look at verse 15, the, what comes right after describing, who, like getting access to the tree of life but outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I gotta be honest, that sounds a lot like me. That's, that's me. And, and what we're seeing here in verses 14 and 15, who has the right to the tree of life? On the last day, you will present a resume. And it will either be yours and as good as, as best as you could have done, or it's going to be the resume of the one who has washed you in his blood, who has paid for you. And because he has paid for you, and God is just, he will not punish you again. Because it's been done. It's fin- Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. Buddha's dying words, strive without ceasing. Jesus' dying words, it's finished. A difference there. It's done. It's paid for. It's finished. And what the tree does is it, verse, thir- or verse 2, it heals the nations. It heals us. It heals our bodies that need to be made new. Some of you like, don't like your bodies, some of you have real afflictions that you live with. Some of you have people that you love, whose bodies are are breaking or have broken, and what we see here is that Jesus, because He has paid for our right to enter in, he, the tree of life will heal you. But not just your body. There's this great. There's this great line in um, the song "Just As I Am," and. Um, one of one of from the third verse it says, Sight and riches, healing of the mind. Yes, all I need in thee to find. That we not only get healing of the body, but also our minds will be healed. Like some of some of you have seen things and you're like, I don't know if I'll ever shake that. And some of you have intrusive thoughts, and you're like, I don't know if I'll ever get this out of my head. And what the Bible is proclaiming to you is that you will be healed. You will be. So what? All right. Really, I mean, this, is, this last point is really simple. I just want y'all to be satisfied. And the only thing that's going to satisfy you is Jesus. Come to the source Come to him. The, the source of, of water that will never run dry. Because the reality is, this world that we're living in is so short, um, but an adventure of heaven awaits. It really does. And uh, I just have to close with this, because it's probably my favorite thing that's ever been written, besides the Bible. But maybe it should be in the Bible. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I'm not going to add to that. Sort of, but um, um, I'm reading through the Chronicles of Narnia right now with my kids. If any of y'all are looking for summer reading to do, I read it in, when I was in college. Highly recommend Chronicles of Narnia. It's, it's not just a kid's book. It's awesome. But I'm about to spoil the end. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, I mean, shocker, it's a happy ending. You know it's going to happen. Anyway. Um, so... The Pevensey kids are um, these kids who are always going to this faraway world called Narnia, and they're having these adventures with Aslan, who's kind of the Jesus figure of the book. And they love going to Narnia, and they're always sad when they have to leave. And they're kind of, a lot of times, like, something weird will be happening in their world. Like, a picture frame will suddenly grow, and they'll get, like, swept away into it. And, like, now they're in Narnia. And in book seven, in The Last Battle... They're in a train, and the train has an accident, and suddenly they just, like, appear in Narnia. And there's this last huge battle between good and evil. It really is a a depiction of what we've been studying in Revelation. And uh, at the very end, Aslan looks at Lucy, and he says, Lucy, do not look sad. We shall meet again soon. Please, Aslan said Lucy, what do you, I'm sorry, this is the wrong, wrong quote, sorry, reading a little bit further, sorry, sorry, Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our world so often, no fear of that, said Aslan, have you not guessed, their hearts leapt and a wild hope rose within them, there was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the shadow lands, dead. But the term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended, and this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before that's the story that awaits and the reality is we weren't made to say goodbye we weren't and the gospel tells us that in christ we don't have to we're living i really believe this we're living in the cover and title page your whole life is that And the great story that awaits you is coming. Listen, I'll close with Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires the water of life come and take it without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would um, help us to come. Uh, The journey is long, and it's not easy and we get distracted with tastes of glory, but I pray that you would fix our eyes upon you and the true glory that awaits, the fountain um, of all good things, you. And so we await uh, the day when we will see you face to face. Thank you for these students. I pray that you would be very close to them um, throughout their lives. I pray for these seniors. Pray that you would be with them in their heartaches. Pray that you would be with them in the really beautiful and good things that they will experience in this life. Um, Births of children and marriages and friendships, new jobs. Pray that you would be with them in the sadnesses of this life, death and sickness, broken relationships and uh, heartache. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is always close by. And we, we pray that you would help us to hold on to that and to, to run after you because you run after us. We thank you for your grace, and I thank you for these students. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.